Hello and welcome to the Culture File Weekly with me, Luke Clancy, and the culture stories of our times, or of our week at least. And this time, picturing care with the help of a generative AI, we celebrate World Radio Day with a tale of peace in the sewing room, and Christine Tobin falls for the boglands near her new home in Roscommon. But we begin in County Offaly, by way of Kilmainham. Just unfurled around the corridors at Immer is Irish Gothic, the first major retrospective for veteran artist Patricia Hurl. In more than 70 paintings spanning 40 years of work, the exhibition provides a chance to think again about an Irish artist whose sometimes savage visions of the everyday perhaps now chime with the times more than ever. Culture Files' Marissa Brown went to meet the artist at her studio as she prepared for the opening of Irish Gothic. It was a bright, quiet Sunday at Silverbarn Studios in Ballybrick, County Offaly, where I went to visit artist Patricia Hurl. That's not finished. She's going to get a lot of damage done to her body. Um, this. I asked her about the name of her exhibition at IMA, Irish Gothic. Since it started, it's the one question I've been asked the most. Everybody knows the American Gothic that Grant Woods did, and he made it in a square, which is quite kind of unusual for portraiture. And I loved it. I always loved it. So I looked up the contemporary translation of it, and um, it does say it, it has horror implications, but I don't actually see it like that at all. I always imagined the big Gothic houses and lofty, lofty buildings, windows with mystery, doors with mystery, dark interiors, dark, a darkness. And I think my work reflects that. As I asked Patricia about how her pieces begin, the different mediums she works in and the emotions that they capture, I soon became absorbed in her story. I used to cycle into to Temple Bar and see people and ideas would come into my head. And while I've always kept notebooks, and I still do, when I'd get into the studio, I would want to try and capture that as quickly as I could because I'd forget it. I was never short of subject matter. I mean, none, nobody is if they look around them. I was lucky to have this father who loved to fish and he would bring me fishing and we'd bring our paints. And that's the kind of childhood I had. And we, he was forever saying, look at that, look at that, look at that, look at that, oh, look at that. And I'm inclined to be a bit like that myself with my kids. When we go out, I'll say, look, oh, look at, the, look at the sun on that. I come from a family of spiders. We all have skinny arms and skinny legs and big, fat, roundy bellies. And so the sound of the sewing machine was the sound of the wallpaper of my life for definite. And there's a real comfort in hearing that. And, you know, they're all inside and they're talking and they're going to a, a dinner dance next week and they're making dresses for it. I started in college questioning things, being more political, saving newspapers, which I still do, noticing how women were treated by the church, noticing things that had passed me by when I was younger. And when my, my mum died... A philosopher would say you're going to find her in the in the trees, but it's all too benign for me because there's a lot of anger there as well. Anger of 
the limitations she had in her life. She never left home, really. She she was the one that stayed at home. She died at home, and she died of cancer when she was only 60, 61. I did ask my dad, could I go to art school? I had a dream. I had a boyfriend at the time who was a, a poet, as you are when you're 17. He brought me to different, more contemporary My dad always brought me to the National Gallery, but he brought me to other places that I started opening my eyes. So I didn't get to art college until I was 35. I walked in there and I suddenly found my clan, as they say. People I recognised, people I could understand, people who spoke the same language. I was in final year. I mean, it was doing work that was going to be shown in a gallery. I didn't think about it at the time, but now it is. And I was doing this mother and baby, and she's throwing the baby up in the air. And yeah, you are worried, is she going to catch it? And we all do catch it. But tell me a mother that doesn't, (laughs) you know, find it hard if they're doing this all the time, every day. I got a three-month residency to Anna McCarrig and I was feeling very guilty because I had upset the family's routine for all of that year, really. Uh, Towards the end of the summer, we were having um, a new person was coming in, a Swiss artist coming to stay, and sure, rumour went around. Her name was Terry Rudin. So that's how I met her. And from there, it just went on. I loved what she was doing. She loved what I was doing. We we felt we even knew each other in a former life somewhere. So we're inseparable now, really. We're planning new work together, and that keeps us going. We live together through our art. Patricia and Terry also wanted to create a centre for art where they lived. So they founded Damer House Gallery in nearby Ross Cray. It was important to them to foster a space for contemporary art outside of the major cities. I was curious to hear about another major artistic collaboration of Patricia and Terry's, which is Nikailikta, an artist collective of eight women. Nikailikta came from Catherine, our academic. She's our academic. It does mean the witches, but it means the old witches, the pre-Christian witches. Uh, We got together and we thought up this great idea that we should rescue our friends from old age. Towards the end of our conversation, I asked Patricia about how she feels about the exhibition. She's happy and grateful, but has complicated feelings about her life's work on display for anyone to see. I loved what they did. I am absolutely astonished by the show, but I'm also kind of horrified to see my life hanging up. Patricia Hurl there and the reporter was Marissa Brown. That Irish Gothic retrospective is now at the Irish Museum of Modern Art until May. But obviously you don't keep putting it off and discover one day that you've missed it. 
And next, the latest of our visits to the European Technology and Culture Lab conference, where regular or just extremely lucky listeners will know many discussions focused on the idea of care and how it might meet technology in the contemporary world. One project from Jono Moldovan, an architecture professor from Romania, took the exploration fairly literally. Along with her colleagues, Moldovan decided to enlist the support of a text-to-image AI to explore visual representation of their research into care, cleverly using the tool's built-in biases to explore human thinking around the idea of care and in the process creating a speculative tool for engaging visually with students. Culturefile joined her for some journeys into mid-journey and take a look at at Pod on Twitter for some of the images we're going to discuss. Caring can mean so many things. Just take a quick look in the dictionary and you'll find... So many synonyms or so many expressions that have care in in them. I care for, care about, taking care of also could mean many things. <laughs> we as a group, we did a huge amount of literature review. We ended up with several ideas from several fields. And also we had this uh, large number of words, keywords, and they were not converging into something. And we were trying to, to get a palpable idea to work on a, on a definition, not a final definition, because it's not our job to give a definition of aesthetics of care, but something that we can work with and use further in the project. The interesting approach you took to this to kind of uh, distill what you were doing was to bring in uh, image-generating AIs as a way of understanding what the various operating definitions of care might be. Again, this is something that we've realized, that even if I was trying to give a definition, it would be a very subjective definition. Things like my background, the region from where I'm coming, my age, the fact that I'm a mother, that I'm I'm a professor, that... I don't know, so many things will weigh into uh, a definition that I would uh, produce. Um, And also because of of the way it's formulated, aesthetics of care, which deals a lot with perception, I just wanted to see what it would look like. So if again, if somebody asked me to, to give a definition or to represent, let's say artistically, uh, care, that would be subjective to my background and also to the level of artistry that I have. So anybody who would try to, to give a representation of care would give a different representation. So we decided to give it a try to AI, to machine learning, to see if we can get non-biased response. Or at least differently biased. Yeah, well, we didn't know in the beginning, but at least there Well, we didn't know in the beginning. (laughs) So what do you start with? We're talking about image-generating AIs such as uh, DALI and various other offshoots. Which which ones were you using? Well, actually, I think I tried almost everything that you can get your hands on. So so what was the first thing that you uh, offered to it? You've got got your laptop open in front of us there, and uh, you've got a, a list there of keywords extracted from the literature review on aesthetics and care. Maybe read a few of those for us. Well, um, uh, you would have uh, just a visual culture, uh, perspectives, uh, I don't know, technologies of surveillance. Um, Livability, functionality, beauty, happiness. 
So what you did is take this great big block of key terms. What is there? There's 100, 200 there? 220 keywords that we gathered from the literature review that were just standing there not doing anything. And you put those into uh, the AI generator that is uh, Midjourney. In Midjourney, yeah. I just fed Midjourney all 220 words and expected to see what it produced. You've got it there on the screen in front of us. What's noticeable there instantly is how detached that seems from the keywords because what we have is a landscape of sort of little hillocks and maybe some lakes and a sort of smoky distance completely abstracted from almost all of those terms maybe is that a computer's idea of beauty maybe it's close to that well I don't know because there are so many terms and it appeared that it it uh, it weighed on on some of them more like maybe ecology and nature and future so uh, when I saw the first render the first four images that were not so detailed I just decided to to take one and upscale it to see where uh humans are whereas the presence of humans because you can't see them in general no 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 it's just these sinuous lines of landscape very green uh, good green actually (laughs) healthy so we tried different uh, expressions or different um, associations of words starting slowly with care and perception of care and aesthetics of care and then perception of uh, aesthetics of care and then just placing the words uh, because it, it renders different results depending on how you put the words in the, the, the command that you give the bot to imagine the first one is perceptions of care, and there's a wheelchair, a wheelchair figures in several of them. There's uh, old people, and um, maybe there's a, there's a boy in a wheelchair as well. And uh, what's slightly sort of uncanny about them is they all seem to be being wheeled off towards the glowing light down a corridor. Oh, I, I, I didn't think of that. <laughs> But now, if you, yeah, actually, the, especially the one that I've upscaled, yeah, it, it, he, he appears to be real towards something uh, lighter. <laughs> yeah, it seems like um, care is only taking you one place. <laughs> well, maybe for the three of the images, but let's hope for the first one is a, 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 a brighter future. The idea is that we would try to find a way to fit in um, the way we educate our students these notions of ethics, of of care, of uh, sustainability, of circularity in all disciplines, not in specific disciplines like aesthetics. (laughs) Uh, So each one of us, each professor, would have to find a a way to... um, introduce these elements. We are trying to provide some sort of uh, toolkit uh, of how to do that by maybe transforming the way we teach in, in sort of a game play to, uh, to interact more with them and to well, attract their attention because these are different generations. You have to keep them entertained while you're teaching. So is this a way of talking to students via the AI? Then? I think so. I think it would work. I think they would be interested, or at least I think uh, it would just like stir their interest.
Professiona Moldovan there on her journeys into mid-journey, and as I say, at Culturefile Pod on Twitter to look at some of the results. Next, the fusion sounds of Ross Common in a new album from Christine Tobin called Returning Weather. The return is Tobin's return to her native Ireland after many years spent living and singing in London and New York, and the weather is the one she finds in the quietly beautiful landscape around her new home in Callow. The new location also brings a new team of Irish collaborators, including David Power on Illan Pipes and Cora Venus Lunny on violin, as well as a new centre to the music, inspired by the colours and feelings of the boglands that surround her home, as Christine Tobin explains to culture file. I'm living between in a townsland called Callow, which is between uh, French Park, Balahadreen and Boyle, a half a kilometer walk from the very foot of Loch Gara. So it's sort of on the hinterland of the bogs and water meadows as they might be called in other parts of the world, but it's um, kind of a non-dramatic landscape. <laughs> You know, I had it in the back of myself and my partner, Phil Robson. We had it in the back of our minds to maybe get somewhere, you know, a little cottage in Ireland because um, my mother had passed away in 2016 and the family home then was gone with her passing. So that was where we used to stay or I'd stay um, when I came over to see her and the family. So, you know, that felt like a connection was lost. It's it's um, The home is such a... And intrinsically, um, you know, it's so fundamental to your your whole being, really, where you're from. And uh, so I, there was a kind of a, a desire to have somewhere that I could call home back in Ireland. But it was planned to be something for the future, um, kind of a long term, somewhere we might go back and forth. We were living in New York at the time. I didn't really think, I'm from Dublin, from Walkinstown, and I, I wasn't thinking of going back to Dublin, I thought somewhere in the country would be nice. So this was all, you know, in planning for the future. And I started looking at places on the internet and I saw this gorgeous little cottage and um, I thought, you know something, I'm just going to hop over and see uh, see about it. And uh, I did that and I was there for 20 minutes and I went back to the estate agent's office in Boyle and I'd signed... I'd signed on the dotted line and uh, it was it was all very strange. It was like some other hand was sort of guiding me along. As soon as I decided to become a singer, I... You know, I was singing jazz. I got into jazz through the Joni Mitchell Mingus record. The rain slammed hard as and then I just got into, you know, fully threw myself into it wholeheartedly and then moved to London, played with some of the great players here, uh, like Louis Stewart and Jim Doherty and Noel Keelan and people like that, Dave Fleming. So that was my you know, whole world of music. Um, and, you know, in your early 20s, when you l- like something, love something, you're really obsessed with it and nothing else is kind of gets a look in. Um, so it's, it's later, as I get older, I started looking back, you know, towards music I would have grown up with and been exposed to. And then I, I am Irish. I'm not from the Gaeltacht and Kerry or 
anything like that, but I'm from Walkinstown in Dublin. But, um, you know, I am Irish, so you just absorb a lot of that music because it's, it's in your environment, you know, um, and it's on the radio. And uh, there was a phase, I did play the accord, piano accordion for a while. <laughs> and I remember my mother taking me to the Piper's Club in Thomas Street um, when I was knee high to a grasshopper. <laughs> I met David Power over in New York um, at the Irish Arts Centre. I went to hear him play, you know, a few times and he heard me play and uh, we got on quite well and it wasn't really till I moved to Ireland that, and I had idea to, to was inspired to write this new music because of, of the landscape and, and the whole experience of coming back home because it was an unexpected move to actually come back home full 100%, you know. I thought because the the Ilan pipes, there's such a, a strong vocal, soulful sound to them, and they are so there's such an Irish sound. It's so representative of Irish music, and the soul of the music. Um, I thought I I have to have pipes. I must have the pipes. And then of course I thought of David. <laughs> So Callow is where our cottage is and that's where home is now. Just after a short period of time of being there, I, I went to the, I don't have a piano there, so I went to the keyboard and just started writing the, this little riff to it, you know, because I had the keyboard set up looking out the window. Just small fields and, and wild hedgerows and hawthorn and um, and when you walk out and down the road you're very close to Callow Bog and then there's, there's uh, you know little woods that have been I suppose they're re recently planted commercial uh, woods but just I was taken by the landscape and I really felt I had a real sense of joy when I looked out the window or when I walked out in the landscape I just thought oh my god I feel this is home, you know. It's just, it was so, it was so immediate. It was, it was strange. And uh, so then followed the music because when you, you know, when you have a strong feeling like that and you're a singer or you're a musician, you, 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 um, you know, you hear the music of it all. Browns, yellows and greens.
Christine Tobin there on her latest album, Returning Weather, and she's heading off on an Irish tour with musicians from the album, including David Power. That starts on the 1st of March at the John Field Rooms in the National Concert Hall in Dublin and winds its way around the country to a venue near you, winding up on the 18th of March at Glore in Ennis. On Monday this week, it was UNESCO World Radio Day when around the world people tuned into special features like the one you're about to hear. This year's programmes were on the theme of peace, which is a big theme and a small theme. There's always the big P peace to be restored in places from Yemen to Ukraine. But there's always also a little piece, a piece so small that it sits inside a single room, maybe inside a single head. The composer Natalia Bayliss made an album from sewing sounds recorded on a Singer 5802C. And when people hear it, she says, easily the most common response comes with a story about how the sewing sound world is the world of their childhood. I know what they mean. Natalia's zig 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 worked on me that way too, recovering a world of peace that's always getting lost, only half-sensed at the time. The industrious peace of my grandmother's workshop at the big hardware store near the docks. Upstairs past unsettling displays of baths and sinks and taps, all missing their bathrooms. Up behind a hangar door that rolled aside to reveal Mrs. F across the room at her machine, an unattended cigarette burning nearby, teasing the piled-up bolts that filled the workroom, and forming around her as years went by like a tree embracing a lamppost. At a bench, her lieutenant, Desi, who looked after floor stuff, goes at an unfurled acre of Axminster, freehand with a blade, like he's cleaning a mackerel. The morning's work is in flow, and in it grows something that even a ten-year-old notices. It's hard to recognise it as peace, because the place is filled with sound. Apparently it's non-trivial to rid sewing of the human. It's the material's fault all those bolts are too floppy and unpredictable, too alive under the needle and apt to find their own ways. No AI can really help. You always need an operator of some kind. And there she is at her machine, a heavy Singer brand built into a table, a motor tucked underneath, directed in volleys from a foot pedal, worked by a loafer, last seen on the foot of Catherine Hepburn. At least I feel that was a role model for Mrs F, a woman left holding all the babies when my grandfather finally did do her a favour and up and went. Their screwball comedy was missing its happy ending. Mrs F insisted she was not an interior designer when that variety of person finally showed up in Galway, despite the Habsburgian excesses of her specs for curtains. And not a seamstress either, even if her offspring still display her tapestry tote bags or a denim Nehru jacket. She made curtains and covers for cottages in The Quiet Man, but that didn't make her a set decorator either. Like some touchy indie band, she didn't want to be pigeonholed into a genre. She was, as anyone who visited the workshop could plainly see, a space as much as a craft. 
Not that a child ever thinks like that or properly explains being pulled towards the space where my grandmother leans, focused on her machine, like she was drawing the whole world from a spool of thread in explosive bursts. But like that, it doesn't sound much like peace, but maybe that's because there's one track missing from the mix, that second sound ducking and layering with the pulsing needle, the radio. The radio brought its own problems. But its burble worked to hold the piece where it needed to be. Hold it for a minute while Mrs F swept her nub of chalk over chintz and corduroy, did actual cuts and actual pastes, then got back to her machine and its timeline of thread. I wonder, after saying all that, whether my grandmother would ever have seen her space that way, whether that's really how she thought about the workshop as she heaved the door back on its tracks each morning, day after day, decade after decade. She died soon after stepping into the street across the path of a motorcyclist. She wasn't the same after that, the daughters agreed. She's at peace now, I remember them saying. She often was, I think. That was Culture Files' contribution to this week's UNESCO World Radio Day, bringing to a close this edition of the Culture File Weekly. We'll be back with more audio ruching next week. Till then, bye now.